Hello, welcome to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host today, Rowan Kaiser, also host of the Total Massacre podcast on action movies and freelance writer and consultant. Uh, today, we are joined by Jason Wilson, ex-editor of GameSpeed and my former boss. Hi. And Steven Strom from Fanbyte is rejoining us. Hello. I think this is actually my third move on three moves ahead. Is um, that correct? You get a special prize for that. Oh. Um, it's called it's called feeling superior to other people. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, it's like that's like one of my favorite prizes. That's a good prize. This is my first show since 2014. Where we did oh. Warlock 2. <laughs> so this is this is especially exciting. Um Yeah. Uh, today we're talking about Darkest Dungeon 2, which just got released in early access. Uh, Darkest Dungeon has been a favorite of Three Moves Ahead since it came out, um, but we never actually did a full show on it. We did a bunch of shows that mentioned it. I think our oh. our tactical management show was uh, one of my favorites, where we talked about the, the sort of burgeoning genre of XCOM and Darkest Dungeon and Battletech and the like. Uh, and we obviously talked about it on like game of the year podcasts and and end of the decade podcasts, but and referred to it when we talked about Darkest Dungeon likes, but uh, never actually slapped its name on a show. So this is this is exciting. Wow. We get to talk about everything Darkest Dungeon in a fresh way. Um, but uh, yeah, Darkest Dungeon Two is a fairly notably different game than its predecessor. Stephen, would you like to talk us through uh, some of those similarities and differences? You bet, because uh, it's actually funny that you mention bringing this game up during management sim RTS <laughs> or uh, strategy game type conversations, because most of that is gone in Darkest Dungeon <laughs> 2. It's true. Completely true. Uh, all of the, if you remember Darkest Dungeon 1, it was a lot of, you had a little villa that you would run and upgrade your gear, upgrade your little houses and upgrade your, your units so that you could bring in progressively stronger teams on dungeon dives. Now, Darkest Dungeon 2 is much more of, I don't know if traditional roguelike, but traditional in the modern wave of roguelikes in the post Slay the Spire, post Griftlands, post Hades kind of idea of uh, roguelikes. It's much more like that with a lot of the same turn based combat that you had in the first game. You still have a group of uh, usually four units that you pick at the now at the start of uh, your entire run. And those guys are you know hopefully with you from the entire uh chapter that is currently available in the game in early access there's only one sort of uh arc available and as you go on through the uh, content that is available right now with this group of four you will occasionally enter new biomes and those biomes are split in for again anybody who's ever played slay the spire or it's many sort of successors will instantly recognize that it's a map that kind of looks like a flow chart of pick left, pick right. The If you go left, there might be a shopkeeper. If you go right, there might be a random battle. You go through those and eventually you hit an in at rinse and repeat. Um, it is also uh, now a 3D game in the sort of uh, Guilty Gear Strive sense of the word, where it's 3D graphics as opposed to the original kind of 2D sprites flash animation almost of darkest dungeon one but it is uh definitely trying to evoke that same exact art styles but it does look i would say pretty nice now yeah that's uh a fairly 
uncontroversial improvement, I think, on the the animation that they've added, especially where the characters just sort of move and flow in ways that the paper dolls of Darkest Dungeon One didn't really do. Totally. And, and what's nice about it as well is that, in my opinion, at least, the the stunning artwork that you have of Red Hook and the, and the way they approach character design and item design and environmental design pops even more. I really like that. Yeah. There's a thing about Darkest Dungeon that I wrote about in my piece over at Fanbyte that is the game is really both games are really, really good at weaving a camera in at the exact right moment that also lines up with like an audio cue that feels extremely satisfying that this game I think does even better. They'll they'll now that it's 3D lighting and stuff, they'll literally like turn the lights off and like shine spotlights on the two units as they like clash uh, when you use your big mace or whatever. Um, and that's something that I always find missing from a lot of uh, Darkest Dungeon follow ups. There was a game from a year or two ago called Aria Chronicle that I liked a lot, but is very much lacking in those small moment to moment uh, details that make it feel very, very satisfying when you accomplish something. Yeah, I think that this is a thing that I'm sort of trying to piece together um, and potentially write about for Stephen uh, is <laughs> um, like a lot of the would be darkest dungeon follow ups have been kind of disappointing. And like it feels like this is a great structure for a game that you could easily build off of the original darkest dungeon I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And, but all the ones that have come after are like, okay, there's the structure. I see it. I just am not really excited by anything going on here. And mm -hmm. a huge amount of that is just like, there is so much aesthetic power in what Darkest Dungeon and what Red Hook managed to do. Like just those camera zooms that you talk about when, when a character attacks, it doesn't just like show them move and attack. The camera is just like suddenly zoomed far in and it's got this really big oomph to their attack um, that like really makes it feel like something has happened. Even if it's just like, oh, you dinked an enemy for two points of damage, like it gives that weight to every single action that you take, which as you get into progressively more intense situations where every single action could make or break your run, like that takes on even more appeal. And then you get into the stuff that's like really obvious there. Um, the music is done by Stuart Chatwick, who's mm. a longtime video game composer who also did the uh, uh, PS2 era Prince of Persia soundtracks. Um particularly Sands of Time, which is one of my all-time favorites. Like, I, I was making a list of some of my favorite video game soundtracks a few years ago and discovered that he had been the composer on two of them, like, 13 years apart. Um, so that was that was fun and interesting. And then also the narrator, Wayne June, who is, uh, uh, for those who don't know, Darkest Dungeon has a very, very distinct narrator who gives it this Lovecraftian flair. He's got this full-on horror movie vibe. And I saw a talk on GDC from one of the designers, Tyler Segman, where he talked about how he 
wanted a narrator that evoked like these commercials that he saw on like local channels in the 90s for horror movies oh uh, because they had like this really great narrator and he wanted to find someone who would be able to do that and then realized oh what if i just found that guy and managed to track <laughs> him down and oh and, my god and no. went to you know built this uh, built this game up on this Lovecraftian horror and stress and terror and tie it together by having a voice invoking whatever you're doing and like beautifully overwritten monologues. Uh, now, the thing I've always thought about the voice, and you might know better than me, is I always thought it was playing off of uh, Vincent Price and being a more serious and heavier version of that. Yeah, it it's it's in that it's in that vein. It's like like finding out that this was a guy who had done commercials for horror movies or whatever or local access horror like the the Elvira uh Elvira type of introducing the horror movies or whatever. Like, yeah, this is it's it's got that kind of commercialized version, but he's being dead serious within the context of the game. Doesn't mean he doesn't have some wry humor, but it's it's really really effective for making darkest dungeon stand out from literally every other game out there yeah what's what's so great about the audio direction in my opinion of darkest dungeon is how each sound and each narration works with each action you take yeah um there, there are a few that are a little bit repetitive. Um, and this is also true yeah. for some of the animations. Um, but by and large, it really feels like every time you do something, you're getting that specific thing. You're not just getting because they're like each character has like three or four different attacks. And it could easily just say like you did an attack for each one, but each animation is different. The voice and tones, different things. The sounds uh, are sometimes very different um, and they might have different effects in the game. Like one attack might do less damage, but it causes bleed effects. And all these things are like, they, they're given mass weight and feedback to the player. So the player knows what's up. Like if someone, if you Rowan were to play for me right now, the sound of a blight proc going off <laughs> in this game, I would instantly know what it is. And I would instantly be able to tell it apart from the sound of a bleed proc going off. They're very similar. They're both like very like kind of like squishy <laughs> sounds, but they are unique and different and satisfying in their own way where it's just like, yeah, that guy with 25 health, he's going to be losing two every turn. And that's going to set me up to win this fight in five turns. Or I at least I hope so, because if I don't, I get jack shit. And not not really sure about your math there, work, Lou. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's we could talk about some of the, the combat decisions that you make in a bit. Um, uh, the other thing is that like these animations that they've done with these models are really good. When I unlocked the Hellion, which is a class returning from Darkest Dungeon 1, uh, it's a, a lady barbarian type. Um, mm. And it's the first unlock in this game. Uh, yeah. 
I just like put her in the front row of my party and would click on like her wicked slice, which is her just kind of generic attack. And she like raised the raise her halberd above her head in a very smooth way and like look really tense that way. And then I'd click on the iron swan, which is a, a specific attack where if she's in the very front row, she can attack an enemy in the very back row with a direct melee attack, which pretty much no one else can do because, you know, that's what front rows and back rows are for. And then she like pulls the halberd down and back behind her uh like she's gonna like run up and sweep it up at him which is what the the attack does and i would just click back and forth between those and marvel at like how how much how smooth the transitions between them were yeah it, it, it's funny because they would when you talk about the halberd attack the first time i saw that i said my gosh, this is how I always pictured my character using a halberd in D&D. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's like a, she's got some really good ones where it's like, like you said, there are attacks where she swings it down, but then like there's like good um, she's kind of like stepping forward and she'll like sweep it upwards. Like there's personality built into their weapon types because of like who they are and what kind of fighters they are. And that is actually something I'm sure we'll talk about later, too, that these are actually characters now, even though most of the classes are returning archetypes from the first game. A bunch of them um, have names and those names are set always at the at the same at the beginning of any run. You can customize them if you want. But like, I believe the Plague Doctor is just Audrey uh, or that actually might be the Grave Robber. And as you progress, you you find these um, shrines that allow you to look into their backstory and see who they are and why they are that way. And because of all of the really, really good stuff with the combat animations, you already have kind of a sense of their personalities going into those moments, too. Yeah, um, I, let's I, I really enjoyed the addition of the story. Yeah, I think I think we're, we're done talking about the the sort of aesthetics here. So we, we can move into this directly. Um, in Darkest Dungeon 1, uh, you had two characters at the very start of the game who were like always there for the tutorial. One of yeah. whom was a grave robber named Dismas, and the other one was a crusader whose name I'm blanking on right now. The crusader has not returned to Darkest Dungeon 2 yet, so it'll Rain probably old, be... I think. Yeah, Reynold. Um and like when you get the grave robber in this game, his name is automatically set to Dismas. And when you had characters in Darkest Dungeon 1, like any future grave robber you had was just going from a vaguely Anglo-Franco name selection thing. And you could get, you know, any number of random names for those characters. However, when they would introduce new characters or when they would just like reintroduce existing characters, they had like these little animations that they would put up on YouTube or whatever um, that introduced each character as if it was a specific person. Yeah. Um, and like when when the narrator would when you would hire one of these new characters, the narrator would like give a little intonation about like who they were and where they were from as if they were individuals. But in Darkest Dungeon 1, they were just classes like you could uh, you could use them relatively interchangeably or you could like set them up according to different color schemes and then like have some of them like this is a character who's built on bleed effects. This is a character who's built on direct damage. Right. Um, you were, there was a lot more customization of combat abilities in Darkest Dungeon 1 as well. 
Like, huh? you know, this is my stun vestal and this is my uh, heal vestal. Yeah, that's sort of available here, but you have to go through the stories. But at any rate, mm-hmm. uh, to finish to finish what I was going before we could go go back to Darkest Dungeon 2. Um, the characters were like half characters, half you know, sort of mechanical vehicles that you would just use. Uh, and their personalities would come out um, like in various runs. They would get afflictions. They would like get in fights with people. They would get, turn cowardly. They would not get in fights like Darkest Dungeon 2, which is one of the big things we'll talk about. But, you know, they they would they would have breakdowns and start yelling at everybody. And then everyone else would have breakdowns, too, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd remember, oh, yeah, this is this is my nervous wreck of a grave robber. Um, <laughs> but there is always this tension between is the grave robber a specific person versus is the grave robber a class which darkest dungeon 2 resolves by basically saying yes these are all the same people um they're sort of like re-rolled each time they're they're kind of different in a in a roguelike way but the grave robber always starts with her name as audrey um the highwayman is always dismiss the hellion is always boudica and they all go to these shrines and get these stories which have little combat puzzle things. So the there's a tighter structure to Darkest Dungeon 2 that allows for more specific character storytelling. Now, and that could be a good or a bad thing, depending on you know, how you approach building characters in games like this. If you're somebody like me, who you know has a whole headcanon developed around their characters... Uh, you may not like it, but I, I, I've enjoyed the bits of story they've added. So t- to me, it's just a different take. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like I like that the characters are given these stories. I like that they are given this individual personality that I'm not like using these different classes uh, as or using different characters of the same class and pretending they're different people when they're basically the same people all their writing is the same etc i don't like that i only have four of them at any given time i don't like that (laughs) i'm not managing that i don't like that i'm not managing a whole party like for me part of the joy of darkest dungeon one and the games of that nature and like i compared it to sports games like it's like football manager it's like uh, you know, if you're playing a season of uh, an NBA 2K game where a player gets an injury, now you have to figure out, all right, who's going to start in his place? If yeah. a Darkest Dungeon 1 character got completely stressed out and had a breakdown, all right, who's going to take the spot of the grave robber here? She's she's out of commission for a the little way, while. The way, I've been looking, the way I've been looking at it is like Darkest Dungeon is about, you know, managing an adventuring company, whereas Darkest Dungeon 2, you're just, you know, dealing with one party. Right. Um, And, like, we haven't been terribly specific about exactly why this is, I think. Um, Darkest Dungeon 2, you're just in a wagon going from the start of your adventure to the end of an adventure. Uh, John Boulding, who we had hoped would make it, but uh, ended up having to back out, uh, basically called it Oregon Trail, which is a really interesting and funny and relevant comparison where you are going from point A to point B. Point B is a long way away. There's a lot of adventures that happen along the way, a lot of changes that might happen, a lot of progression that might occur. But uh, 
There, there is a specific end game that you're getting to that's going to be able to be done over the course of a relatively short amount of time. And right. because I do of not that, like the wagon. <laughs> yeah. So I do not like the wagon. I don't like controlling it. I, I understand what it's doing. You know, showing your 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 path and how you can get little bonuses by crashing into everything <laughs> along your way. But I don't like controlling it, and I don't like the time I spent there, and I, I, I just don't like the way it's been implemented. It's. I like certain aspects of it, but it feels really weird to play a darkest dungeon with any kind of vaguely real time seeming component. Right. There, like, there are, and this is something that I was very <laughs> thankfully able to change, because uh, I streamed this game a bit last week, and the people in the chat pointed out to me that, like, oh, you can crank up this the turning radius on the wagon, because by default, you can be riding this wagon around, and honestly, like, screw yourself over in a way that isn't entirely clear you're screwing yourself over because you come to these crossroads where it'll be like left right or center and left will take you to a boss fight and center will take you to a hospital <laughs> and so you don't want to confuse those two things but you will because you can't go backwards in darkest dungeon one you could go backwards um in places and you would just take more stress because your characters didn't like going you know backwards or in back into the dark where places they already been in this you are just like locked forward so you can get to these crossroads you will have highlighted the specific route you want to take it will even like start glowing above you we uh above your caravan with an icon and the game's animation will be locked in such a way that like no we're actually going to take you to the left and you have to fight a fight now that you didn't want to do because you just weren't quick enough with the keyboard or your reaction time of realizing oh i'm about to hit a crossroad was was not too um quick and that's not going to be a huge issue 99 of the time but if you're not paying full attention which you aren't always in a turn-based game you can screw yourself over I, yeah, I felt it, like that that might have been fixed by the time they got it into like the full early access version because mm. it slowed down a lot for me when I was in a crossroad and the turning radius was a lot easier. So it was like, unless you're just holding W down and like looking at your cats, uh, it felt <laughs> like there was... There was no way you couldn't turn when you when you realized what was up. And that might have been a change because I didn't notice this. Um, I I only noticed this after I had done a few runs after the game had transitioned from the, the press version to the release version. And I was yeah, like, why is it so slow right now? Oh, mm -hmm. because I'm in a crossroads and it wants to make sure of that. So that what, this may no I longer be a problem. The, Go ahead, Jason. What I hate about the wagon is I didn't play this in press uh, version i played it you know as soon as it hit early access and so i you know i, I didn't have so much problem of going down the wrong path for me was it, it, it's still just not fun to control you know it you, you mentioned the turning radius steve and i'm thinking about it it's like you know my parents 1977 Cadillac <laughs> had a better turning radius than this wagon does and 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 you know it's you can sit there in a pattern, and if you're just sitting W all the time because you want to get from one encounter to another, and then you realize, oh, no, I want to turn just to get this loot that I might get from crashing it into these dead bodies, you um, have a hard time doing that. And and it's, it's, just, it's just not fun to control. It, it reminds me of um, trying to ride a horse in a game in which, you know, horses really aren't the main component. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because like I really like the idea of feeling like you are on a journey. Um, yeah. Final Fantasy X is the game that I always come back to when describing this because people complained about Final Fantasy X not having a world map and like that that is an issue. But like the first half or two thirds of that game, you are progressing across the entire course of the world by foot, essentially. And every step you take gets you closer to that one particular end of your your pilgrimage. And it feels like a real accomplishment when you get there because you have taken all those steps forward. And the Darkest Dungeon Wagon seems to be like they they made a decision to to try to get something of that feeling like you have you have made this journey to the mountain. And when you get there, you like get this wave of relief or wave of satisfaction that you have finally achieved your goal um it also shows off the art really well like the idea that you're traversing these fields or these cities or uh these forests like there's there's just really nice backgrounds um the whole thing like i don't know i i dig the art style of this game at every level uh i think they did a, a wonderful job of of conveying that but as Jason says, it's also just not an especially fun thing to do. It's it's like it's not quite a mini game because it's a pretty significant chunk of the game, but it feels right. like it's kind of a, a mini game that's imposed on what is otherwise a turn based tactics game. The uh, when they first announced this thing, um, this thing, Darkest Dungeon 2, uh, the idea of, oh, you're not just going into one area every over and over yeah, darkest dungeon one had more than one area but it was like basically you started from one location and then just would go into dungeons that had slightly different enemy types the idea of going across the world and like oh the the weird chaos and the the darkness of the darkest dungeon is spreading across the planet so you you, you aren't safe enough to just like go in and try to seal the gates of oblivion or whatever you have to go out and go do stuff i was and then it's like you'll have your own caravan i was like oh hell yeah i'll have my own caravan and i'll be upgrading that the way that i would upgrade the the base back at home in darkest dungeon one and so like in theory, I was actually like way, way into the idea of the thing. And to your point too, uh, Rowan, I think it does look amazing and does give this idea of the creeping darkness and this like the ways in which the world is falling apart at the seams because you will go into a town that is just on fire because there's these weird fire cultist zombies who are just burning through different locations that were once big parts of uh, what, you know, a civilization that you never get to really see in the first darkest dungeon outside of that little town. Uh, Or you'll be going through like a forest and it's full of these suits of armor that are basically being puppeted by uh, plants because they've killed knights that tried to go into the forest and, and stop them. And they've uh, filled those suits of armor to become like weird plant zombies and stuff like that. And, so again, in, in theory, I really like a lot of these ideas, but it just feels a little half baked in a way that is just the f- I think it all comes really back down to the fact that it's all run based because the journey element, the, one of the things that makes the journey in Final Fantasy X feel good is you are making a team, you're collecting a party. It's like oh, Riku's on the team now. Uh, Lulu has decided to join. I've got Kimari. Oh, we're going to get a better sword. We're going to go into this like one location and get uh, dodge lightning bolts a hundred times, but I'm going to get this awesome <laughs> weapon. 
Okay, uh, wait, wait, that's that's not a <laughs> normal element of that game. That is that is a specific thing that idiots who need game facts like me end up doing for hours and hours and hours of then getting distracted because it's so boring. Yeah, but yeah. It's just, it, but it's a thing that you can do to kind of like progress and and feel like a sense of uh, ownership over this squad and like um, uh, uh, customization over them. And you get a little bit of that, but I think in kind of the, pers- this is, you know, me making an assumption here, but I think kind of in the pursuit of perhaps either reaching a wider audience that is like more into this modern Dead Cells, Slay the Spire uh, era of roguelikes, or to maybe address a lot of the criticisms that I I feel like I saw kind of surface level criticisms at the time when Darkest Dungeon 1 released of people complaining about the gold grind in the end game and stuff like that, or or people not quite understanding that games like XCOM are about the like the football manager sort of uh, thing that you were talking about before, where it's like you have a star player and that star player is going to take your team over the finish line. And then the rookies are going to learn so much from them. And maybe you have to cut a couple people along the way. That's just how it goes. Sometimes maybe people get injured. Uh, That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) Well, you know, Darkest Dungeon was, was also very specifically going for a... Like that was the part of the tone of that game, right? Was it was like over time, this game is going to wear you down as a person where you start to look at these uh, disposable units as disposable to a certain degree. And you'll have to, you know, contend with that as much as you want. Yeah, I think. Um, like, it's also just that Darkest Dungeon 1 was incredibly long. Uh, yeah. like you, you sort of, you sort of said this, but I'll just, I'll just say it. Like I've never finished it. I haven't played on oh. the ra- radiant mode. I've gotten into the darkest dungeon. Uh, but like, it's just, yeah, there's just so much of it. And I'm not sure the end game is like actually more exciting than the rest of the game. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't like strongly appeal to me just like going through all the dungeons until I no longer feel like satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm still feeling some kind of progression is mostly the way that I have played it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, a hundred hour campaign. The radiant campaign is significantly less, uh, but still it's a notable thing. Whereas this mm-hmm. campaign is designed to be played in about five hours and like, I think there's a third option of the ones that you mentioned for why they made it this way. And the Mm. third option is simply that, like, this gives it a reason to exist. Like, when I first heard that Darkest Dungeon 2 was coming out, I was like, I don't know that there's a reason for this game to have had a sequel. Like, this is this is a singular experience in a way that just like trying to do it again would feel mostly irrelevant. Um. And the other thing, too, the other thing, too, is, you know, Red Hook could have decided that, you know, we really like this model that we see with games like Slay the Spire and Monsters. Yeah, that's true. Let's see how we can make it work with with the way we make games. Sure. Yeah. And like this is. This is something that I think is really neat about Darkest Dungeon 2 is that it feels like this is a distinct take on the Darkest Dungeon world. It's still very clearly a Darkest Dungeon aesthetically, combat, whatever. Just the core structure is tremendously different in a way that is like, yeah, this is this is small Darkest Dungeon and Darkest Dungeon (laughs) 1 is big Darkest Dungeon. And that's cool. Yeah, I think the and this is something that is very much just already a thing I litigated in my piece. I I think that I am 
very interested in seeing them try something different with the verve and style and impact of Darkest Dungeon, which they have definitely done. I think where it breaks down for me a little bit is the fact that what they decided to do differently looks a lot like 40 other games I've played in the last like three years. Um, that the map type specifically just being so slay the spire like where it's just on the side of the screen. Uh, you go forward, go forward, go forward, then pick a direction, go forward, go forward, go forward, pick a direction. Oops, you died. Start over. But you'll you will have gained XP for your profile level that will now add new stuff into the world, which is it's it's you know, I've, I've I love roguelikes and I love games like this. And so I, I don't hate it. I, uh, I'm having a good time with it, but it is a good time that is extremely familiar to me, even if it is different for Darkest Dungeon. Well, and not only that, too, it's it. It's so different than the original experience that at first it took me a while to adjust to it in the, oh, you know, this isn't what I wanted things. Mm. You know, I sat there for a long time when I first started, like, oh, I want to build up a base. I want to build up a team. I want I want to build up this. I want to build up that. And once I got past that inner bias and said, okay, well, that's not what this is. Accept it and move on. I started to enjoy myself more with it. Now I still need some balancing in some other areas, but we can get to that later. Yeah, the, yeah. there's there are some other major issues that have come out of the the decision that I got into in my review that are like this is this is the super complex stuff. So we're, we'll we'll hit on that uh, in a little bit. But um, I feel like I've I've just completely blanked out. What was I going to say? Well, I- I, I want to go back to the wagon for one, one yeah. thing that I do like. <laughs> and you're talking about going through and experiencing the world and seeing sights, but the characters also, you know, engaging in conversation based on their relationships to one another. And I liked that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 change, like people who know Darkest Dungeon or even probably know it in passing, probably know that there's a system of stress that you build up on each character in these games where uh, you have your health bar, just like any RPG. But then over time, characters will also start to fill up a bar that indicates their stress. And in the first game, if that filled up all the way, there was like a 90 percent chance that they would develop some kind of like. Oh, it's like, you know, eldritch horrors are making them crazy. Kind of like old school, very uh, weird relationship with uh, mental health and stuff. I, um, I, I would. I would quibble with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a fairly simple thing where like the more pressure you're under, the more likely you are to have some kind of breaking point. Mm-hmm. And that breaking point is often going to be bad, but sometimes it's going to be good. Having the potential good option is, I think, a really good one. Yeah. Just for, you know, a con- concept of mental health in that, like, yeah, sometimes when you're freaking out, you're going to, like, become the best version of yourself. And also right. the the things that happen to them, like sometimes they would have that kind of eldritch uh, you know, the world is going to swallow me up kind of stuff. But sometimes they just turn into little assholes. Yeah. And like anxiety. <laughs> I steal all the food oh, now. Anxiety does that to me too. Like I, I'm, I'm, I get that. Uh, I, I think uh, that there is, it all, it is like working off of stress systems from Lovecraftian type games that mm-hmm. were built specifically around that kind of eldritch horror. Everything has gone wrong, but I, I don't know. As a person with many, many mental health issues, <laughs> I felt like this was like a model that I felt kind of respected by. 
they they definitely do a much better with it than I think like a lot of stuff in the board game space, maybe from around the time that they were coming out. And I think like even now, this game spe- specifically shows that Red Hook has a vested interest in trying to to improve and do and do better things with that stuff. Like, I think they were even doing better at the time than than a lot of other people were, um, because in this one, I think like this is broader than what I was going to say. But Darkest Dungeon 2 also has kind of a more optimistic outlook on humanity. Like one of the chief things that happens in this game in terms of a random event is you will just find people by the roadside who will give you stuff that you can then stop and help. Like, oh, you can choose your character. And this does tie back into what I was talking about originally, the new stress system, which is mostly based on relationships between your units. They will, depending on what you pick, either like each other more or less, depending on what you decide to do for these people, where it's like, we're going to stop and tell them some stories about our our uh, time on the road, or we're going to help them rebuild their house real quick, and they're going to give us a bunch of food in, in uh, response. And some, one of your characters might say, no, I want to do this. And the other one will say, I want to do this. And that yes. will I, the, wear at the relationships. The first one I well, saw, Dismas said, this gun has a bullet in it. Um, so yeah, they're, they're not always, uh, the, the most friendly about it. Yeah. No. And it, and when this happens, you know, you have a chance to improve the relationship with one or two characters while at the same time hurting it with others. Right. Um, the other thing is that there is the torch, which was the amount of light that you had in darkest dungeon one, which was kind of like, this is a literal amount of light that you have, uh, your characters your characters will react according to basically you know how well they can see or how well they the monsters can see them uh and with that torch the torch of darkest dungeon 2 is like a both a literal light and a metaphorical light of hope for the entire Mm -hmm. world and helping people out will improve that hope Stealing from them might give you more stuff, but it'll lower that hope. And apparently things go really, really wrong when the torch runs out. I never actually had the torch run oh, out. Have you oh, not? Oh, I have. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's it, it, it gets bad. Well, yeah. apparently you all need to rob fewer <laughs> bystanders and be nice to the people who are survived the apocalypse. Um, you know. I I'm I, honestly I think that most of the times if I was helping people I got more torch it would be more like um yeah if if I yo no you're right you're right uh if I would rob people I would uh, lose torch because we're taking time to steal their stuff I think was the idea I, I think bit. it's you're taking their hope it's a it's, it's the hope. metaphor like because there's also a hope meter in this game which is your profile XP right right that's that's the thing that I had wanted to talk about that I blanked on slightly earlier which was like. Yeah, you just kind of unlock things by doing runs. And that's mm-hmm. I don't know, it it feels it feels very half-baked. Like Darkest Dungeon 1 felt like every piece of it kind of like had a reason for existing. This one feels like we need it we need a way to unlock things and like Yeah. Okay, now we okay, we're unlocking characters. That makes sense. Um, I, I get characters, but you're unlocking item types. You're unlocking like different food. You can feed your characters in the inn and different diseases you can get. Like, I don't. Yeah, that it's like if I was playing Crusader Kings and I had to play three games in order to get a character who was ambitious, that 
this this does not really sit right with me. The progression systems like that are some of the big things that tend to change in early access periods. So exactly. I, I, I hope that Red Hood can come up with something a little less arbitrary feeling. <laughs> like, and, and, and I, I mean, you know, my hope is that they come up with something with the progression that makes you feel like you're making actual changes to the world. Right. Yeah, that, that I don't know if that's going to happen in a game that's based on nuts. Yeah, and also like this this art is this art is wonderful, but it's it's not like modular. It's I, I can't imagine like having a sparklier version of the forest to drive through. Right. It's not Wildermyth, you know, like Wildermyth yeah. is a game that came out this year where that art style is specifically looks the way that it does, which is actually probably more in line with Darkest Dungeon One, where it's kind of paper dolls, 2D art. And it looks that way because they are getting so deeply, deeply modular with the art on characters, especially where it's like you will walk around and, you know, that is also a run based game. But you are going into locations where you will uh, trip over a big crystal and then get it lodged in your eye. And then suddenly your character is growing a crystal arm that they use as a sword. And that's reflected in the art of the character and stuff like that's not really happening in Darkest Dungeon 2 yet um maybe they'll get to a place with that but you're you're right like it's since it's 3d now that's probably a much more difficult proposition i i am interested to see if character customization like aesthetic character customization becomes a thing because this is this is now a game where skins become a lot more viable (laughs) like in darkest Mm -hmm. dungeon one you need a different colors to distinguish between the characters but in darkest dungeon two like what if you get, you know, you complete the Plague Doctor's story to the point where you can use like the original Plague Doctor skin of like the um, the academic with her little goggles? Uh, yeah, that, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. Um, maybe that version of her has different passives or something, you know, too. like maybe that's that, a way they can differentiate class based stuff. That could be that could be. I, I liked her. look. I liked the beginning of her story a lot. Uh, yeah. Reminded me of you, Rowan. Oh, great! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we do, I suppose if we did do the Witch Darkest Dungeon or you uh, quiz, then I would probably get closest to the Plague Doctor. Yeah, just uh, have a little mini game where you argue against an academic in a big stuffy <laughs> college room, and just be like, "No, you're you're wrong," and he's just like, "Quiet!" <laughs> and then you kill them with the argument. Yes. Yeah. That's I, I love that and I laughed so much the first time I did. That. <laughs> yeah, uh, this uh, is this is actually like a little combat thing which has completely different skills for your characters to use. Mm-hmm. Like there's one where the runaway is trying to avoid nuns and escape her the convent that she's been like semi imprisoned in. And like you, you hide behind statues. If the nun catches you, your stress goes up. It's it's all there's all a lot of like some of them take too long. Like that one took yeah. me like five minutes and it, for just like one thing to do. Um, but uh, I think it, it's cute that they have like decided this combat system can be used in these really creative ways. Uh, I'm such a sucker for that of like using every part of the beast kind of thing in in games where Oh, especially turn-based games like well, it's a weird pull, but Grand Blue Fantasy, this is it's a mobile gotcha game is also an example of a game where it's just like they've been doing it for so long that they know the exact limitations of what they can do with their UI and stuff to just like actually we can do something really cool and wild here that is 
not necessarily fourth wall breaking. I would say it's more interesting than that in, in this game. Um, but like the idea of positions, so like you were saying earlier with like the iron swan attack and stuff, that's a move you can only use on somebody in the back row on the enemy team when you are in the front row on your team. And as the grave robber, there's a whole thing where her thing uh, is she's trying to poison her lout of a husband who sucks because she wants his inheritance so bad uh so she is like sneaking forward sneaking forward sneaking forward trying to get to the front row using abilities while he's like berating her and yelling at her and that like makes her like to reduce stress you have to cower which sends you back a few rows but if you get all the way to the back you can poison his drink and kill him which is such a cool little story beat and like more stuff like that more in general this is something that they will absolutely add over early access i'm sure just more variety in stuff that can happen like the the amount of times where right now basically what you do is you get into a random encounter you get into a cultist encounter you find some people by the side of the road and that's 90 percent of what you do in this game and yeah and then until you get to the end and then you start the next the next path yeah, which is just more of the same, but in a different biome, usually. And I am, I'm, you know, I'm almost certain that they'll they'll add more variety in that. And I do think, to a certain degree, I'm just kind of spoiled off of Wildermyth right now. And Wildermyth is probably my game of the year, so, you know. Yeah, same. Uh, Jason, have you played that? Yeah. Okay, um, good. That that I, seems I like an that. extremely Jason game. It is, it is. And I, 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 I really enjoy it. I don't... I haven't even thought about doing like a game of the year since right now I'm not working. <laughs> yeah. <it>. Congratulations. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really nice not to have to think about that. It's <laughs> just enjoy things for what they are. <laughs> that's true. It did come out this year and it was really good. So that, that's the main thing I'm saying. Uh, check out Wildermyth if you're into, if you're into storytelling RPG type of things. Um, but um, I think this is a good time to talk about, stress of relationships yeah this is this is the big thing about darkest dungeon 2 like even more even more than the the idea of the road trip um the idea that you are managing a group of characters relationships with each other as opposed to managing essentially their relationship an individual's relationship with the world the stress meter is now essentially just tied into relationships the relationships are what's important when they get good they turn into like hopeful or even amorous which uh <laughs> if, if you ever wondered uh why can't darkest dungeon kiss now they can kiss mm-hmm. um and you then, will get into situations where multiple characters are amorous with each other at different times and then get jealous if you try to heal a character that yeah. is not in that relationship with them so it can actually bite you uh yep. yeah that's what, what, what this what is this is what happens what, what when you make a lesbian polycule it's just it's <laughs> it's a problem yeah one of my biggest frustrations with this is you know no matter how much i tried to keep things balanced when it came to, to stresses inevitably somebody would start getting envious or somebody would start getting jealous and you would do something as simple as like, oh, I'm going to block for you. And the other character would go, oh, I could have used that. And bing, another another step towards a bad relationship. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's a good thing. Like this is this is what I would like to see from a game that's built around these relationships. It just doesn't feel right. 
it's it's arbitrary uh like i don't that's my issue i don't exactly know why that character who is like moderately friendly with you know the man-at-arms is suddenly like oh if you don't block for me then i am going to try to murder you in your sleep and is whoa that's that's a little harsh I think I know why it's doing that, but this also just ties into something that I think I hope that they improve upon in early access, which I think it's if you do a thing where you go to the the desperate few, which is the the thing where you're helping people on the road or or robbing from them. I think it's if you do something that the other person doesn't like during one of those conversations, then they are more likely to have friction with each other when you do stuff for the next encounter until the next node on the map. I think that's the case. I'm not sure because Darkest Dungeon 2 has basically no real tutorial to it right now. It just has a massive, massive glossary of stuff where you will just be going through the game and you can't even really... The, the, the thing that I feel like a lot of RPGs recently in recent years have done where you just like mouse over a keyword or a key phrase. And it's here's a little glossary explanation of here's what this does. And yeah. here's why it's different. Nice than the other thing. The, totally. the, the uh, pillars of eternity tyranny thing. Paradox, tyranny thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Paradox actually created a UI innovation that the world followed. Like, yeah. What 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 are the chances of that? And Darkest Dungeon 2 needs that so bad because yes. right now all you could do is shit will just happen in the middle of a fight and you just have to like, well, got to hit escape, go to my uh, civilization pedia or whatever and like just mouse through this endless list of of things like uh key phrases and terms and just hope i find the one i'm specifically looking for um but also there's just words it'll be like this is hope and it's just like well i'm not trying to find the word hope i'm trying to find this little symbol this little icon that i don't know what it means and then for for the longest time i was like using bleed attacks on enemies in this game and it's just like my bleed attack dismiss bleed attack is just not procking ever why is it never procking it's not even saying resisted and it was like you know, two or three runs into the game before I realized, oh, the little red icon that looks kind of like bleed when I was just looking at it out of the corner of my eye is a different little red icon. Now yeah. it, it's dark. It's death's door resistance because enemies have death's door resistance now, unlike in Darkest Dungeon 1. And, and the, the, you know, this gets the, this problem of the tutorial gets right to the beginning with, with the horse and the cart, because at first I thought hitting the little piles of stuff in the road was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I real I thought it was going to hurt your torch. And I, it wasn't until I hit a few and then got, got something from it where I realized, oh, no, no, you want to run into these things. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like they, they felt like they needed to add something to make the, the moving forward interesting. And now it's right. just confusing and messy. Um, yeah, there's... There's a lot in this that like feels like, I don't know, Darkest Dungeon 1 was kind of this way where I, I knew people who would start that and they would like hover the mouse over every single skill a character had in order to figure out like what they were doing. And they would like try to read this entire tiny little block of text. And it was like, no, this is just an attack where you punch the guy in front of you. <laughs> it's OK <laughs> to just, OK, this is my core basic attack. Um, and the Darkest Dungeon 2, I feel like, has uh, kind of increased 
the number of of specific little things there's like a combo attack thing where you you can use certain attacks that will make other characters vulnerable to combos and that's like a really interesting thing but it's complicated to figure out how and where it's done and when you can combine characters to do it and this is a thing that might come with the mastery of doing several runs but right now this is not a game where you like i don't know I did like one run after I fought the boss and won and I was like, okay, yeah, uh, that when there's more, I'll try to do more yeah. looking, looking forward to using that leper when I care. Right. Uh, the, the combo thing is actually a very specific example I, of, and maybe this is something I don't have all the characters unlocked yet. I think I've got the runaway is the most recent one I have unlocked, um, which is the only new character class to darkest dungeon two also. And she rolls. Uh, Big yeah, no. fan. She, yeah, she's awesome. She like she has like a big b- burning brand that she uses as her weapon. She kind of like looks like the hoarder lady from Labyrinth where she's just got this like <laughs> big satchel full of everything she could ever possibly want. Uh, she's cool. Um, but right now, uh, this is not a, a thing about the runaway, but it's just like the combo system specifically feels either like it needs some balance work or it's another victim of the tutorialization not being super robust because there are like a 30 different moves where when you upgrade them every move in the up in the game right now can be upgraded exactly one time um and usually these are upgrades that are like very very uh big where the grave robber has a move that in the first darkest dungeon would hit two enemies at range and then also reduce their um resistance to poison and bleeding now it just hits two enemies but when you upgrade it it gets more stuff and the, the so you get all these different abilities where it's like oh if you, if you combo off of this ability it does more damage if you combo off of this ability the enemy can't dodge it if you combo off of this ability and then i've while i've seen like 30 moves like that i've only seen like two that actually cause the combo to trigger in the first place where it's just like how am i supposed to actually get these moves to work is it do i need to be waiting like is the is the leper is the 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 jester going to be the one that is like my combo builder or whatever because everybody can use this but nobody can actually make it trigger because nobody can uh mark anything yet yeah there's those those additions uh those upgrades to each skill are really really important to the game and this goes back to the stress because uh like when when john and i started playing it and we're talking about it in three boobs ahead discord and he's like oh, I figured out how to manage stress. You upgrade the Plague Doctor's ounce of prevention at the first uh-huh. at the first in. And then like if I upgraded ounce of prevention and used it every time I could, stress was easy to manage. If I didn't, stress was actually still easy to manage. But that's a that's a conversation for a different time. Stress was not easy to manage. I had to deal with it. Um, but like you don't you don't know that upgrading that particular skill will do that particular thing unless you happen to hover the mouse over that particular skill. And each character has five skills or more, depending on how many, uh, how many of the shrines that you go to their backstory, which unlock more skills as you do this. So like there's no easy way to see 
which skills can I get that will start combos? Which skills can I get that will finish combos? Which skills can I get that will increase bleed? Which skills can I get that will decrease stress? Which skills yeah. are just going to be the most powerful to whack someone in the head with? Like it's 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 a thing that has to be developed through repetition and memorization and so on and that's that's how the original darkest dungeon kind of worked and like it was fair for that because that was a game that was kind of unfair but in a run based game where each run is super short i'm not sure it really works so well for this one because like no. if if i can't figure out how to make the jester work i just may not use the jester ever again except in like you know mild uh, mild cases of curiosity yeah and and, and the the other thing uh, i i'm really curious about with this is you know was there some sort of milestone inside the studio it's like we have to get early access else by now and we just can't get those uh tutorial things ready because we prioritize gameplay or if it's just not going to be it yeah that's that i mean i think that Red Hook did a really good job with feedback or a really good job ignoring feedback, depending on your perspective. <laughs> uh, they, The first Darkest Dungeon was like the model for how early access should work. It was a game that was very playable and very interesting and very obviously incomplete, but still entertaining when it came out. And then like had significant improvements in most of the ways that it needed to be improved until release and release was the version that was like yes this is this is the full flowering of that potential that i saw in the the early access version that i loved i loved all these parts of it so darkest dungeon 2 i feel like you know red hook is a company that is very likely to to hear shows like this and mm-hmm. uh you know figure out that because of the different structure of their game maybe it's more important that they have uh some kind of guide that helps people go to the right skills to upgrade for more what they want to do uh also if you're listening uh tyler uh please 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 put a brightness slider in i had to (laughs) i had to turn off all the fucking lights in order to see anything in this game i mean i could have turned up my monitor but i don't need to turn up my monitor for anything else brightness slider oh my god also Let me tell uh, you about the magic of blackout curtains that i inherited when i bought this new house this year uh it, it has made my life better in innumerable ways i can imagine i can imagine now i do want to talk about one aspect of this of uh, the relationship stress that i really enjoy oh, no we're, we're doing we're doing all relationships from now on we have covered everything else we're, we're tying this together so it's it's it, it reminds me of so many tabletop groups i've played and the relationships you get with your party and how the actions that some people take either make their characters and themselves, you know, closer together or cause rifts and cause problems that have manifestations later on in the game. Yeah, it's it's the concept of managing the small party's stress and relationships instead of just managing the individual stress is like yeah. 
this feels like exactly what a sequel should do. Like yeah. we had a really good idea that was the center of Darkest Dungeon One. That's still here mostly, but we're reframing it so it's an even bigger and better idea. Uh, you know, it's so what's just, great about this. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Rowan. Go no, go with what's great because so what's, what's great about this for me is no, no, no game with, within the RPG sphere has ever captured, in my opinion that tension you get so well as this this system has with its relationships and the way actions have impacts with one another. If you think about most party-based RPGs, you know, the relationships are just about, you know, bonuses you get or, you know, oh, the sex scene later on or the love scene later <laughs> on. And, and it's not about tangible effects that happen in combat. And, and from what I've played so far, this feels like the real innovation here. I mean, you, you take a look, what other game right now, RPG-wise, are those kind of emotional expressions are coming out in the system between the interplay of characters? You don't really see that. Yes, you got that in MMO raid parties, but that's not a mechanic thing. That's just human relationships. I, right. I mean, it's... I think tactical games in particular have kind of been going in this direction in Leapfrogs every once in a while. Like XCOM War of the Chosen definitely knew that putting your characters together and like building bonds with them so that they could take extra actions every turn was a thing like it be, you know fire emblem became huge in the in the west in the time since that the this game uh the, the original game the original darkest dungeon came out and i think like people that have that are making games like this are have started to see that writing on the wall i still think red hook is kind of ahead of the curve and in, in seeing that and knowing that that's the direction uh griftlands even has like the the hated and the loved system in that game too from this from earlier this year over at clay um but it is still deeply appreciated it's still super super smart to do because being able to build that headcanon between your characters especially in the game where they are so so much more set in stone what their backstories are like the ability that they can express themselves through oh i'm going to step in and take a blow that would have killed my plague doctor because i have the hots for that plague doctor <laughs> um as the grave robber or whatever is super super cool it's not even the hot. It can just be supportive. It's yeah. like, you're my friend and I'm going to protect you because or, I know you will protect me. Or it's, it's what's key about this is that it's not like embedded in the writing, but it's embedded in the decisions that you make in combat. Like if you're playing, mm -hmm. you know, I, I played Pathfinder earlier this year. Mm. Um, that game does a really good job of actually having your characters like argue with one another about the choices you make. It has really good characters in terms of their making decisions that like you as the player might just find intolerable. Like, no, you have to get out of my party. I hate you. <laughs> and these, yeah, yeah, they just up and leave. These are these are things that like I appreciate in terms of like how the writing works to make me do different things, but it's not the same as darkest dungeon where like, you know, there is, there is a tabletop potential thing where like two of your friends are being overwhelmed by orcs and you're the healer behind them. And you have to choose which one gets your, your cure wounds spell right in that moment. And they're both going to really, really want to need it. And mm -hmm. that decision that you're making with the actual combat mechanic is going to affect how that person playing that character might see you, the Darkest Dungeon has, as opposed to you just made a decision in a quest that's going to 
that's like they're already talking about that. Um, this is about the doing um, or, you know, which character are you going to blast or not blast, but which character's enemies are you going to blast with your fireball? And then the other character might die. And like in any random other RPG, they'll just be like, yep, I died, whatever. I'm back. And in this game, they might be like, why the fuck aren't you using your fireball on the one that I want you to use it on? Yeah. And like, this is, um, this is conceptually really good. I like it yeah. when it happens. It's it's moving in the right direction. It's just it's, a, it's especially satisfying, depending on your point of view. When say you've got your plague doctor and they're having a horrible relationship with with, with your mercenary and, and they hate each other and they're MBS and you try to do something in combat to help that mercenary and that mercenary won't take it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it this is this is like the sort of um emergent narrative that RPGs do need and it's helpful to have it conceived it just might not be helpful for this game in its current state. Yeah. Um so it, it needs it needs more. I I think this is just a thing with this game is it's it's in very early access, right? Like yes. there's only one chapter and there's a placeholder on the main menu for like 5. So I assume at a certain point they they will get more in depth on the relationships and the relation cuz right now one of my things with the relationships is they don't feel different enough or i'm not able to tell how different they are like what is the difference between when a character is amorous for another character versus when a character uh is respectful of another character like what buffs are they giving to each other are they different is it just a random positive i want it to be like okay if these characters have an uneasy alliance or whatever then in those cases they will they will throw out like a little heel for somebody here and there or if they're in this other relationship they'll they'll block attacks but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll do this other thing like yeah. and and more more uh, explanations of how those things because i think that stuff is in there to a certain degree but it's just not explained and i don't think there's a ton of variety yet but i have utmost faith that red hook of all developers will will add more stuff over the course of early access like that's i think goes without saying basically yeah. but yeah that's that's a thing that definitely would help um i think that there are some major balance issues that could be worked on in early access uh like like i said when john told me about the plague doctor thing it was like okay i can manage stress but then you know after doing a run Get doing pretty well, not having too much stress, but still dying. I was like, all right, what if I take my five characters that don't heal and <laughs> don't have that stress relief? Although it turns out the man at arms does kind of have one, but I right. only discovered that like three runs later. Um, <laughs> but I just took like the, the four characters that weren't the plague doctor that I had available at the time and was like, all right, let's roll. And I like, managed to get through the first boss fight for the first time and what was happening was they were all stressed out they all hated each other they all had consistent meltdowns the meltdowns lowered their health and then i would do just enough or they would have like self heals for when they were at almost dead or they would have just enough items that like as long as i didn't have them at death's door 
the damage that I was doing could just blast through whatever stress problems I was having. Like, sure, there was there were three meltdowns every boss fight, but I still beat the boss. Um, it Those doesn't meltdowns are hard to survive too. That they're not hard to survive because the characters don't die when they're at zero hit points. The right. characters only die when they're at zero hit points, take a hit, and then the random number generator decides that yes, this time they're actually going to die. So you yeah, can that just happens to be a lot. You can just <laughs> you can just fight through at ten percent health pretty much indefinitely until you start getting bosses that really really do like double hits and so on that uh you know i i i didn't finish the campaign with that particular run i think eventually i did have somebody die and i wasn't close enough to the end to get a replacement um but like this kind of goes to a bigger issue which is that Stress now is entirely contained within the relationship system. When you have a character who gets a stress meltdown, all that does is it gives them the damage I mentioned, and it damages their relationship with every other character. When those characters get those damaged relationships, it doesn't really stop them from doing things, except maybe if they're interacting directly with that other character. It just means that everyone's kind of grumpy and i found that that was okay it was it might not have been the world's most fun road trip but i wasn't there to make friends i was there to kill monsters and like it's it's partially that it's hard to see the relationships because it right. is a web of four characters each with their own relationships which it's a uh adding to to six different uh dimensions um Instead of just like four individual dimensions of the stress, but right. it's also that because there are so many different places that things can fall apart, that those things that fall apart aren't that important. It seems like it should be more important. In Darkest Dungeon 1, having a character who had a stress meltdown was basically the end of a run. Unless you were like, oh, I think I can make this or you you didn't actually care about that party that much or whatever. You had to you had to make these hard decisions about what you do when those characters have the meltdown. Darkest Dungeon 2, you just press forward. There's nothing else you can do. I, I think the way that they intend currently to balance that out is with more attrition with the with the idea that you are using this one squad. You can replace dead party members at in in if you have party members new party members unlocked but if you're like if audrey dies you can't go and get another grave robber it's like the next time you get to an inn you can you can hire boudica and stuff like that but mostly you are at the whims of really 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 uh what they want i think to be really really tough attrition because you will take hits you don't necessarily heal to full when you hit a new inn but generally speaking, especially since um, inventory space is so limited on the wagon, I'm just constantly using any item like I'm just like, which is maybe a smart way to force me and other players who are the perennial. I'm going to hold on to 99 of potions because maybe I'll need them for the final boss type players. Um, I'm constantly just like eating slime mold and popping uh, anti bleed drugs and stuff like that in this game in a way where it's just like I'm not really at low health that often. The only time I 
get into really dire straits in this game is if I've taken a bunch of damage and I'm about to go fight the cultists, which in this game right now are they seem like the at least in this first chapter, maybe it changes over the course of early access. But in this main chapter, they seem to be the main villains. Um, so you will fight them as kind of like mini bosses at the end of most areas. If those cultists show up and I'm in low health, I'm I'm usually in really, really dire straits because the cultists just get uh, they, they've replaced in Darkest Dungeon 2. There's no longer a concept of in the in the older sense, like a mischance on hits or or blocking necessarily, where it'd be like this character has a 25 percent dodge. So that means you'll theoretically miss one fourth of all your attacks instead now. And I actually really like this combat change. It is like Battletech, actually, where if they use an ability uh, that gives them like a dodge token, they cash that dodge token in every time that you try to hit them. So there's a 50 percent chance. But then that dodge token is away. So, you know, that you are going to have a chance to miss this person at this particular point, And you can adjust accordingly. The The dual dagger move that the Grave Robber have, has is great for that because it does nothing. It does like very, very low damage, but it hits two enemies. So if you line it up so that it's going to hit two enemies with dodge tokens, you can remove two in one stroke, which is great. But yeah. but overall, like the yeah, the attrition is just not there because you are getting so many items. You're using them constantly because you don't have room for them. And I'm and not they, feeling it. Well, they also yeah, yeah, don't the the items also don't take time to use. Like you get no. you get one yeah. you get one action of a skill per turn, but you can also use an item. Nothing else in the game is like that. You just have the ability to toss in an item in every action. So as if you have the healing items, you, you there's literally nothing stopping you from using them. Yeah, and the other thing I like about the items is the interplay they have with the trinkets, because you can give someone a trinket that reduces bleeding, and then give that person an item to reduce bleeding that they can give to somebody else, so right. that they can equip a trinket that gives them bonuses in combat or other bonuses. Oh, the like on the the bleeding and stuff like that like one of the reasons this is a balance thing that I, I bet will change but one of the reasons ounce of prevention is so good in this game is not only does it reduce stress when it's upgraded it also raises the bleed and toxic and disease resist and fire resist of your entire party when you pop it and the attrition again comes can come from you know you talked rowan uh at the start of this about like there's only a certain amount of chance that they're actually going to die when they're at zero health. But that all that chance also has a proc every time they take bleed damage or poison damage. Mm -hmm. And if you just use ounce of prevention at the start of every fight, that's very, very rarely happening. And yeah. in a way that is like in the first darkest dungeon, the Vestal, which is just this healing nun, was so good that you would if you weren't taking a Vestal with you, it was because you were intentionally telling yourself, I want to try and do a run without the Vestal and, and try something different. In, in the early game, the Vestal became only moderately useful in the second batch of dungeons. Right. And she was actively like the worst character in the game in the last batch of dungeons. But right now, I feel like new Vestal just dropped. It is just Plague Doctor level <laughs> one pop that first skill point right down some prevention pop that first move at the beginning of every fight maybe that changes again over the course of different chapters but right now it's just like there's never any reason to not be reducing stress and basically eliminating the chance that you'll take poison or bleed or fire or disease like it's yeah. just too good so be because it's all uh relationship based sorry this is the last thing i'll say but because it is all relationship based usually if it was a situation where 
the your plague doctor, if they got stressed out and became paranoid or whatever and would just refuse to use healing abilities, you were fucked in oh. the first darkest dungeon. Yeah. Now, like you can basically just use ounce of prevention whenever you want. There's no, that's just, there's just no chance of that happening in that same way. Yeah. Then it's what a two turn refresh three. Yeah. It's a two, two or three. Yeah. That's like that. There, there are going to be some turns where you can't use it, but in the normal five turn fights, you get to use it twice. Um, right. The five turn system too. Yeah. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, if you run into like regular enemies just on the road, you have five turns to defeat them if you want to get any items. Otherwise, it just ends uh, and it was just attrition. Uh, so the, there are a few fights where you actually are on a bit of a timer. But um, yeah, so like these are balance issues and I think they're balance issues that can mostly be solved but there is also a conceptual issue that I, I came down on here, which is that the combination of the two new systems really, really struggles to have the thing that I found like best about the first Darkest Dungeon, which was that you are constantly gambling. Do I go forward or do I go home? In Darkest Dungeon 2 because you are on a single run of five hours or so instead of a bunch of tiny dungeon runs of 15 to, to 45 minutes. Um, and because you have these characters who, like, they can only be replaced in very specific, in very specific situations. Basically, if you have a character die at the end of a, at the, at a boss fight at the end of a, at the end of a level, then they'll be replaced and you'll be okay. But otherwise yeah. any kind of death is basically the end of everything. Um, yeah. Whereas in darkest dungeon one, you have a character die. You say, okay, I'm abandoning this run. Uh, sucks that I didn't get that much progress, but at least I, I had a good, uh, at least I saved these three characters and now I'm going to have them go drink their problems away. And, you know, I can't use them until they've succeeded at that. But, uh, I've gotten something out of this. Uh, you, they've got you would get currency and, and upgrade materials to invest into your base. And then yes. that would make future runs better. But that system is just gone. There's nothing like that in this game. really. Right. So the, the only thing that like improves is this abstract uh, hope meter that we talked about, where like the more you play, the more you unlock. Um you don't have the ability to run from fights. You don't have the ability to bail on levels entirely. It's just you're either succeeding or you're failing. And so when a character has a stress collapse, when a party gets like a terrible relationship going on where they're, you know, everyone's sniping at each other like it's uh, one of those episodes of Community where everything's gone wrong around the study group table, uh, it's... It's still you're doing the same thing no matter what. There's no choice to be made. You're just going forward until somebody dies. And that tension of the first darkest dungeon of, all right, do I bail? Can I can I pull this off? Can I actually pull this off? Even though my plague doctor is a gibbering wreck and my hellion is uh, basically the only person who is able to lead this party and she's starving to death. Like what is, what, what are my chances of actually getting like the full reward here versus should I just save my characters? And then when you save your characters, it's okay. I have to 
repair these characters. I have to send that Hellion to relieve her stress and then get rid of the disease she picked up. No more syphilis for you, young lady. Um, <laughs> we have syphilis at home. Yeah, so we have plenty of syphilis oh, in, in, in the Hamlet. Uh, so there isn't this tension of like, can I even repair this character? Will this character just not be available for the next three runs? I And that's gone. It's completely gone. It's just, am I getting through, am I pressing W on the wagon until I die and then pressing abandoned run and unlocking a new character and trying again? And this means that the relationship system, which in like, if you added that to a Darkest Dungeon 1, then you could like, you know, have a couples therapy thing that you would send characters to so that they wouldn't be breaking all your future runs with each other. Or you would just say, okay, I can't have these characters in the same party ever again. Here, it's just this temporary thing, right? My Plague Doctor and my Man-at-Arms hate each other. They lost some hit points. Now they're going to heal. And I just have to move forward. And I feel like this is... It's just lacking the intensity that made Darkest Dungeon 1 so special. And I don't know how they can fix that. Although just I, saying I it right now, I'm starting to feel like, okay, your character relationships continue from run to run. That would be funny. Um, yeah, but I think it comes down to when I was talking about a little bit earlier, accepting the differences and acknowledging that, you know, this, this you know, I'm not going to get that in this game. What am I going to get out of this game that I do enjoy? Right. But that's the thing that I enjoyed the most. Like that's the, yeah. that's the biggest one. That's the, the idea that there was always a risk and my job was managing that risk. There is no risk in this game. It's only success or failure. I'm not playing poker anymore. I'm playing gin rummy. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. the, what the game here would be. Um, <laughs> I have a, a friend who was also playing through this game and we were talking about it on Discord and the, the, her exact words were, um, I wish somebody would just mod the relationship stuff back into Darkest Dungeon 1. <laughs> like, I think somebody like, will. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like, Or somebody else. Like, I, I feel like we have to be on the cusp of somebody else seeing the potential in making Darkest Dungeon 1 work you know like making a, a true success or even just a really good copycat of that first game uh again and maybe you can incorporate some elements from the best of both worlds right but you'll have to figure out the random dude from commercials from your hometown that will be the one <laughs> that uh ties the whole thing together aesthetically because i just don't know if darkest dungeon one works without that like i've played mm. enough darkest dungeon successors that I don't feel like it does. We um, need to get the guy from the Phantasm 2 commercial who just said, the ball is back uh, <laughs> there in <we> every <laughs> ad. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, so, so you know, I guess that's my question to you, Rowan, is, is what you've played so far, you know, bearing in mind this is very early access and, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's a small slice of the game. Uh, is there enough here to keep you going back or is it going to be one of those where it's like, okay, well, you know, I'll play it again in five months when they add some more stuff. Oh, that's, it's definitely going to be a, I'm going to play it again when, you know, they add the shield breaker. I love the shield breaker. <laughs> um, 
And like if if they add another dungeon or, uh, you know, get close to release, then I will definitely check it out because it's still a really good tactics game. The aesthetics are still really, really interesting. Uh, learning once you actually learn a lot of the language of the game, what the upgrades do, how you can start putting various combinations and combos together, like all these things are good and interesting. It just. I also will probably go back to Darkest Dungeon 1. Is yeah. this does not have that special spice that Darkest Dungeon 1 has. It's still good and interesting. I'm glad they made it, but I don't think that uh I don't think that they can actually make it work in a way where I have that feeling that I want from a tactical management game of if I don't if I don't save these characters, something's going to go horribly wrong. Even if I do save these characters, something's going to go horribly wrong. And I just have to work on managing that. Like this, the campaigns here are too short. Like there's there's no managing to be done. I don't and I don't know that there's there's anything that can be done. Like maybe if you made the relationships last beyond or maybe you make a mode of the game that has the relationships last beyond uh that one thing um well, and then figure out how... kind of literally does that already right like yeah. it's, it's a thing <laughs> you can do well wildermyth has like the facts of the relationships like if someone is the a mother or if someone is a lover those things will remain but the characters themselves will have completely different roles as if they're like folk heroes right who like you know Johnny Appleseed comes along and he's a giant fucking asshole one day but does the right thing versus he's the nicest guy in town and all these all these myths can exist within the same person because that's just how folklore works that's what that game is aiming for yeah um, and that's that pervades that whole game i don't know if you can do it with darkest dungeon 2 maybe you can uh I just I just have serious questions about whether this game will feel special or just like, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good add on to the Darkest Dungeon concept. Yeah. Also, I would prefer that they mod the character animations back into Darkest Dungeon 1 before the relationship system. Oh. <laughs> but uh, that's that's probably less likely. Uh. Uh, yeah. Um, has, has Red Hook put out a a. Um... Roadmap? roadmap for when for when they think they'll be at full release or is it going to be one of those things where oh we'll find out in two or three years i, I was actually looking for that earlier on during the with this recording i don't know that there's a specific roadmap but they i think the description for the game does say we're looking at about a year of early access yeah which it's, which aligns with what darkest dungeon one had i think i don't remember if it was this game or another one that i was playing but they were promising a road no that was against the storm which we're going to be doing in a week or three uh on three moves ahead there's a special preview for you all um that that was like yeah here's our early access version and we're going to try to get a roadmap up in a few weeks sorry about that uh but i don't know if red hook is being that specific i think after some of the early access controversy uh, they might be a little wary of doing that kind of thing, and they they may be right to. Oh, con- controversy with this game? No, Darkest Dungeon One. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that I do remember. I was like, oh, did I miss some controversy? Are people being weird about Darkest Dungeon 2 and Early Access again? Because I, I thought that was, I thought we were past that. I thought there had been enough Early Access games now where people kind of just knew what to expect. Uh, that, I don't think people are ever going to be past that. It's probably <laughs> good for all our sanity that John is not on the show right now because John yeah, despises Early Access. That's a scab we don't need to pick. Um, I, for I for those say, who don't know, the controversy about Darkest Dungeon 1 was they added corpses, which take up room in the tactical battles and are kind of a pain in the ass to clear. And uh, a lot of fans who had been playing the early access version before this found it to be just kind of an infuriating, annoying addition and really, really wanted it to go. The designers basically like examined all the feedback and decided no we still need the corpses but i believe they they did eventually add an option in the menu to turn the corpses off but oh, yeah, yeah there was there was a big thing like if you go to the wikipedia it says that all the fans like went to jim sterling to try to get him to make them change their minds and then jim sterling played the game and was like nah this rules um <laughs> and corpses are back and yeah yes. the corpses are still here uh the grave robber can eat them to heal <laughs> And turn invisible. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the one thing I will say about the early access stuff, and it's not a it's not a problem with Darkest Dungeon or any individual early access game at all. It's it's more specific to me, and I think says something about my relationship with the game a little bit right now, which is similar to how I just don't need necessarily another game in this exact mold in my life and in the way that I feel like I need a game in the exact mold of the first Darkest Dungeon. I don't know how much room I have to continue following more early access games right now because I'm already um, hungrily checking the patch notes on Phantom Brigade to see if it's gotten oh. into a place where I want to play it yet uh, more. There's uh, a tactical management 3. game that I'm, yeah. I'm keen on. It, it's cool as hell, but it's also like I look at that roadmap and I'm like, they're going to add the, the actually it sounds like they're going to add pretty much exactly the same thing in here where, where they're going to add pilot relationships and rivalries uh, with other stuff like that. Like you'll have a Kakrakon type figure who's like or a Ramba Rawl, who's this like pilot who is out there in the field hunting you down and you get into battles with them over time. And it's like, that's what I want right there. And every time I check their patch notes, that's still on in, in the future. And I'm like, OK, I guess I'll check back in in two more weeks and see if you guys have added that. Uh, but nope, nope, still not. OK. I'll, I'll come back later. Baldur's Gate 3 ready? That's a game I haven't thought about in a while. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been in early access for like a year now. Yeah. And it seems like it's still got a ways to go. If I remember right, this was a game I saw at the last, at the last PAX I went to. Yeah, I remember that Rob got really excited about it and wrote up a preview. Yeah, because Rob... I saw Rob. I saw Rob, and he says, "Have you seen Phantom Brigade? You gotta go see Phantom Brigade." Uh, I was at the. I saw this game at that exact same PAX. It was very funny because um, it was Danielle and I, uh, also fan bites. Uh, Danielle Riendo, um, our my boss in EAC, uh, had signed up for that, but she wasn't feeling well and couldn't go. And I was at the uh, demo for that game, and they just like. Every new person I met uh, from the developer was always just asking, like, would start by, like, asking, hey, where's Danielle? <laughs> and it's just like, uh, Danielle couldn't come. I really want to see the mech game, though, please. 
Every time Danielle isn't on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's Danielle? <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was great. Yeah, that is that is perhaps the most hyped 3MA game that we're we're looking forward to when that one when that one feels ready I think that's that's like the one that is aimed directly at our souls <sighs> please consider me to come on for that episode too well, in the future because I, I, I do think we'll actually need like a mecha expert to be here because I'm not sure any of us feel that except I don't know I don't know how badly Rob has been corrupted by Waypoint <laughs> um I know he I know he's watched like at least two animes, but I don't know if he's gotten like deep into Gundam yet. You know, he he fell down the Legend of Galactic Heroes hole. Yes. You know, there's there's a branch in everybody's life. You either get into the Universal Century or you get into uh, Legends. And, you know, he made his choice. I, I've tried Legends and that that's a trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a trip. Uh, it's a good show. Yeah, it's. it's that first combat it's like what is going on here (laughs) and more lasers more lasers uh so to to take this back i hear that show is all about uh supply and logistics and darkest dungeon 2 doesn't really have supply and logistics you're just you're just moving forward the whole time and that that makes it simpler but i feel like it also makes it a lot less interesting and I don't know, like simpler does not is not unappealing to me. Like right. the the idea that there's a darkest dungeon where I'll ever see the fucking boss. Like I saw the <laughs> boss. I beat I beat the first chapter's run. Uh that was a really fun little fight. Um but uh yeah, like the the idea that I'm building something, that that feeling is not here. And that's one of the things that I like most in this style of game. Yeah, I it, this it is a thing I talk about a lot in my own writing about like I am personally uh, kind of have a reputation among uh, my circle at the very least of being kind of a systems pervert and really like moving numbers around. And like you said, logistics and trade routes and shit like that. But also I'm a, a person who, um, you know, when I worked at a, I worked at a comic book shop for a number of years and there was always the divide between the people who were like into Powerline and Euro games, the serious stuff that is really about systems. And then people who played Arkham Horror and quote unquote like Ameritrash and all that stuff. And I do think there is a value in putting a veneer of a thing that is more interesting. Like I want these characters to get into cool space battles and fuck like that's, that's fun. <laughs> uh, and I think something I need to get me into the, those systems a lot of the time. Um, personally, I do think darkest dungeon has maybe gone a little bit too hard in that direction for me personally right now. Um, and maybe they'll, maybe they'll get there. Maybe they'll find some new, maybe there's a whole new layer of this game that we don't even know about yet. That's going to make this all make perfect sense. I, I I I would not hate a dark I would not hate a darkest dungeon 40k. Just gonna toss that out there. <laughs> like this is this is not a direction in terms of settings that I feel like anyone except Warhammer really goes, but the the really like dark space fantasy or dark science fiction post-apocalyptic fantasy that's I feel like, you know, give me give me that book of the new sun style shit in addition mm. to just uh yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, go ahead, Jason. Oh, I was going to say, I'm open to see where they're going to go with this, but I, I don't think this is going to be a game that, you know, will, will be one that 
I will play as much as I played the first Darkest Dungeon. Mm. And, and at the same time, I don't think it's going to be a game I played as much as, say, Slave Aspire or Monster Trick. Yeah, uh, Slave Aspire, I think, you know, just hit exactly right in the same way that Darkest Dungeon just hit right. Yes. And yeah. uh, we're also seeing that, like, Lots of games want to do Slave Aspire and lots of games wanted to do Darkest Dungeon. And it's really, really hard to recreate that magic, even if you get the structure right. Um, I think it's been easier for some of the Slave Aspire likes. I did enjoy Monster Train. I should go back to Griftlands like Clay. Griftlands is good. I, I played it right after the early access release and it was clearly not like in a place where I would get excited about it. And then I haven't gone back like 90% of other early access games. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, uh, did you play it on, like this is getting off topic. Did you play it on Switch? No, I, I was on Epic. Oh, okay. Because the Switch version was rough when that thing came out. Like the there were some visual problems with that one. I'm kind of curious to go back and see if it's uh, gotten cleaned up because it's a, it's a great Switch game, but it's also, at the time, it was uh, a little messy. If that did Monster Spire or Monster Trades, Monster Spire. That's pretty much what it is. Did Monster <laughs> Trades monster. Did Monster Trades expansion come, Jason? Um, not that I've seen, but I've been between Pathfinder oh God. and the Righteous. Yeah, yeah. And, and life. Like that's <laughs> that, that's and, not and a game I, that's compatible know, with anything else. Yeah. But between Pathfinder and then like I and then you know play this and then i got really back into divinity original sin too oh, I jesus had a chance to check. how many <laughs> how many <laughs> mega RP, are you also trying to do the mass effect legendary edition like no 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 i i i, I just couldn't get back into that but i think that's because it was on it's on my playstation and on my pc okay it looks like it did come out uh the monster trade. I I would like to do a monster train show at some point. Is basically why I'm talking okay. about this. Well, I, I I will I will download that today. Oh, it came out in March. Wow. Uh, yeah. So next expansion, we'll get to monster train. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like how Stephen, what do you feel like will be the thing that makes Darkest Dungeon 2 a game that you head back to? Like, what what are you going to look for and be like, all right, I'm clicking on this icon again? Uh, I would be very curious to see. Like, the one thing that it does really well right now, because it is run based in the way that it is, but even that is a little bit uh, is, is a little bit rough because of the way that it all has to get tied into the progression and the hope meter. Like, I like and this is something I like doing in the first Dark Ascension, which was like, can I make this lineup work? Can I make a jester and an occultist and a grave robber and a hellion work? And can I put this character in this slot? Because this game is such so much more low impact, I feel like it lets me will theoretically let me play with my toys a little bit more and kind of just mess around yeah. with the like tactical part of the game as opposed to like the overall strategic thing. Um, but it is right now a bit of a grind to unlock those new classes to mess with them in the first place. I've, I've played a good chunk of this game. I beat what is currently in the game and have only unlocked two of the new classes. I think I've got like three or four more left that aren't on my uh, squad yet, but I would like to kind of mess around with that, especially if they right, right now, the runaway is the only new brand new character they have. Stuff like that might might be more interesting because I think that would allow me to just take the game on its own merits and not 
use my own emotional baggage as if it just gave me a little bit more freedom um, in the moment to moment. If they are going to lean into that moment to moment stuff and like make the crux of the game the tactical part and not necessarily the management, I would like more options to do that. Yeah, I feel like this is sort of an unspoken issue with the current progression system, because like Darkest Dungeon 1, it was like you get as many characters as you can fill the slots for. And there's not an unlock system other than that the, you know, 20 minute tutorial starts with just two characters and then it gives you two specific other characters to go with them. And then after that, what it's everything, everything is on the table Um, in this The progression system is like, I don't know, there's when you have to unlock characters or when you're playing a game that characters get released in certain order, you get kind of this feeling that like, oh, this is the new character. This is the character that's like special that that's good in some ways, especially if you like really, really happen to like that character and you like had to work a bit to unlock them and it's a really happy day for you. And so you're you're still sort of attached to them. But also, I'm not sure that that's the way that a game like this should work. I think it should be encouraging really weird and different tactical setups. Uh, I would like to see like, I don't know, some kind of. Uh, Something that kind of forces interesting tactical decisions to be made. So it's not just like, yeah, the Hellion is my favorite frontline character, so I'm going to use her every time. Uh, Let's, you know, click on a button that says, you know, randomize the characters or uh, have a challenge that says, can you, you know, beat the beat this run with all male characters or or things like that, that that can really uh, force different tactical decisions to be made um yeah these are these are interesting ideas i'm i'm running i'm running along with them right now uh yeah jason what do you think will bring you back to this game um a little more insight into how the relationship system works relationship system works in combat and and ways to better manage that and just just more insight into the systems and and I'll be back. Okay, I think that's 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 hard to disagree with. Like, uh, <laughs> it's 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 not my sky stuff. Yeah, it's not my sky stuff. I, I I don't need a lot. I think the two things that will get me back before full release or before a specific character that I think is going to be really interesting and I want to play, uh, which are you know these are always possible. Um, I think I would like to see the progression system be revamped or made in some way interesting, some sort of some sort of attachment between runs other than you did a run. Now you get a bit more stuff Um, and a rebalancing of the relationship system. I think I think it can mostly be made to work. It might never be as special as Darkest Dungeon one, but it can still be good. And I think that that's like getting those two things. If I if I know that those that's been patched then I'm, I'm willing to go for it again because i did just unlock the leper and i haven't used him and i've got the occultist ahead of me uh so you know there, there's still stuff for me to go for there's still new things for me to poke at but uh it also feels like you know i should leave it in the oven a bit longer yeah i mean there's also just 
you can only do so much when you're you're playing the same three biomes and the same single boss that's in this game even no matter how many units you have right now like yeah that's how just, exciting is it to take the leper in there yeah this is a thing that darkest dungeon one actually like shockingly did well was uh it had three initial uh dungeon settings that you had and then like six months into the early access they were like all right here's the cove we have some water monsters now and it was like this just unlocked the entire potential of the game it was like it just needed one more little thing to make <laughs> it a little bit more interesting and we were i was good to play it forever instead of being like oh another pig run uh, <laughs> so yeah going getting getting to four instead of three for the different biomes might do a huge amount more than you would even expect Right. I guess I think it's 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 fire people, plant people and zombies right now. Is well, that right? Like sort of uh, weird eating. Zombie oh, right. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Like the kind of. Yeah. The, the the butcher Diablo type guy. Frankenstein's. Yeah. The, the, and like their livestock. Right. Yeah. That, like there's interesting ideas there, but like. For whatever reason, I only saw the fields like twice and I saw the forest like eight times. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen the fire a lot. I mean, they, they do that. We didn't talk about it because it's a pretty minor thing, but they do this thing where um, you get to pick which zone you move into next out of like a couple of different options and that those will have different bonuses that you get for completing certain side objectives like never go to a watchtower or only get into five fights or less stuff like that uh which actually is one of the things that made the stagecoach stuff that you talked about a lot earlier like stand out to me um where i would go down the wrong path and oops like i've gotten into a fight i the, literally on stream i got uh, i went to a thing where it's like i took my eyes off of my stagecoach for a second and immediately went down a path on my first uh uh crossroads that took me into a watchtower and my objective was don't ever use a watchtower and i was like well fuck i just completely screwed myself for this bonus objective uh and i think that ties into what you were talking about earlier jason yeah I yeah i think there's also an issue where like those objectives aren't actually that big of a deal like you get a nice trinket no. uh but you'll get nice trinkets just by progressing it just feels like it's a big deal because it's like this is the thing that gives my brain structure for how i'm going to interpret this dungeon right yeah and this is this is an issue the darkest dungeon 2 has where it has like a lot of good ways for your brain to interpret the structure because it, it, this is kind of a big repetitive game and it needs to create minor motivations um like lower yeah. level motivations i'm going to make this decision in one direction and not this decision in another direction because i want to do this specific thing those that makes those uh those little uh bonuses feel a lot more important than they actually are practically and i think the game could use with you know some rebalancing of do those do those equal the sort of uh are they yeah are they are they i'm trying to not use the word balanced again but like <laughs> i know we've said we've hammered on the balance thing and that it, it's a weird thing to talk about because that is the thing that gets changed most in early access yeah but, it's um, the thing but this is but, like but, an anubis style balancing of attention versus like the numbers that should be slightly different right it's right. like should 
should this feel like an appropriate ward for, a reward for the amount of attention that I have to pay in order to receive it? And right now, that's not quite the case, but uh, it could be. And this is that's an issue with a game that has a lot of repeated runs. This is this is what made Hades the practically the game of the decade. The the moment it like got its early access right was Ugh. it felt like everything you did in that game was appropriately giving giving you feedback um in darkest dungeon 2 could use some of that like every game could use some of that but a, a run <laughs> a run based game based on repetition and randomness needs it a lot it, you know i i like I, I like the example you used there with with hades because i remember when it first hit early access and i had issues just enjoying it because it wasn't always clear what was going on yeah, and what what once that came more and more into the game, that's when it started becoming such such something that people really love. I don't see that happening in Dark of the Dungeons too. I don't think it'll ever get that big, but I can see people still loving it a lot more once we get more clarity around it. Yeah, and and I think also the relationship system when it like really can interact and you can tell those sort of long term stories. The, the emergent stories of things that have happened with the clarity of understanding what and why that was like, that's, that's where this game could shine. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I, I really hope that's where it goes. All right. Any final thoughts? It's okay to say no. We, we, we talked a lot. Yeah. I just, it still feels good when you uh when you get a crit yeah <laughs> say that <laughs> they're still they're still the best at in this genre as such as it is they are still the best at that sort of like little tiny detail thing when when the jester it, does a, a move that uh moves him around the formation he does a little twirl it's really yeah. great i love the twirl yeah and, and for me it's it's just the move you know when you're in combat and once some of the relationships start showing themselves and some of the bickering starts, you know, I, I am totally here for the move. I really enjoyed that. And I'm glad they were able to preserve that from one game to the other, even if it doesn't have the, the tension that comes with the management aspects. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's really good things here. There's also things that feel a little disappointing and uh, hopefully the, the good things get accented and the bad things go away in early access. That's what it's for. So we will we will almost certainly be returning to Darkest Dungeon here on Three Moves Ahead within the next uh, year or so. Um, any plugs you all got? Stephen, what have you been doing? Uh, I got promoted, I guess, technically. Is that a plug? That's that's not a, uh. a nice thing. <laughs> I'm the senior managing editor now over at Fanbyte, which is exciting. Uh, I've been helping oversee uh, the thing that I should actually plug, which is uh, the Link Shell, our new uh, Final Fantasy XIV specific section over at Fanbyte. Uh, we've been doing a lot of really, really great stuff there with Mike Williams and Michael Hyam. And I, if anything, I'd like to shout out the uh, just incredible work they've been doing on that game, which is a really, really favorite game of mine. But uh, they've been doing some really good writing. Uh, and Mike got Williams is good. Cool. Oh, yeah, I, I've said it a million times before, but Mike Williams, if it wasn't for Mike Williams, I probably wouldn't be in this industry. Uh, certainly oh, not where I am. 
yeah, he, he helped me a lot um, when I was in college and working three jobs <laughs> trying to break into games writing. He helped me get some early breaks. So it's really nice to be able to work with him now. And Michael Hyam, also obviously formerly of GameSpot, is just uh, doing really, really great stuff. Mike Williams is also now an official 3MA panelist, but he hasn't been on too many shows because uh, he's been working on this Final Fantasy fourteen bullshit. <laughs> um, but we, we, we should be seeing more Mike on Three Moves Ahead when he's got a little bit more time. Uh, Listen, um, he and I, I bet, can make the argument for how Final Fantasy XIV is a strategy game and we'll bring it on. You know, I'm going to talk to you a, a bit later about <laughs> some of these things. Um, I don't I don't see that as a as much of a, a challenge. It's totally not a strategy. <laughs> yeah, like how do you manage your time when you're trying to do every job at once? <laughs> um, Jason, how is retirement treating you? I wouldn't say retirement. It's more like, as I keep saying, it's like the sabbatical part where you just don't have a job. Yeah. I'm, I'm, your sabbatical ah, is over. I'm in one of those and, too, except I'm occasionally freelancing. Yeah. I, 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 I've, uh, I, I've done one uh, corporate communications consult. And, and um, other than that, I am just healing from years and years of burnout. And it's, <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, I'm feeling better. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. that. Uh, Dave? Yeah, but it's it's really it's really nice to, you know, at the 11 o'clock in the morning, and I look at my day, and I say, you know what? I'm going to make mashed potatoes. <laughs> and I can make Ooh. mashed potatoes, and I have the time, and I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> this is excellent. That does sound great. That's the dream. That's the dream that everybody in this industry wants to get to at some point. Mash- you know, I... I'm an old man. I just want my nice soft food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had some dental work, so I could use some nice soft food. That is not my plug, though. I'm not going to plug teeth. <laughs> teeth are done. Yeah, no, plug your dentist real quick. Why don't you give him a shout out? <laughs> um, I am, as mentioned, the host of Total Massacre, which can be found on Twitter at total underscore mass underscore pod. It is a movie about action movies. It is a show about action movies. It is not a movie about action movies. That's hot fuzz. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a good time with some, with some voices you may know from the game industry or uh, TV or movies or uh, just random friends of mine who I think are really funny. Um, so yeah, we, we yelled about Scott Pilgrim last week. We're going to yell about Ooh. the Born Supremacy this week. And yeah. Uh, I enjoy doing it, and you all should listen if you want. Rob Zachney of Three Moves Ahead was on two weeks ago for James Bond Skyfall as well. So, ooh, uh, we we had a good time talking about imperialism then. <laughs> I'll have to listen to that episode. I uh, I know Skyfall is a very I'm a I I have been in the past a, a big James Bond fan. Uh, I'm a little bit more mixed on it these days, but uh, I remember at the time everybody falling head over heels for Skyfall, and me being a little bit more mixed on it than than some other people. I I haven't given a wet part about Bond since <laughs> I just kept. Me I I never gave any farts about uh, James Bond until the first hour of Skyfall, and then the second hour was like the most moral re- morally repugnant action movie we've done yet. So. So cons- yeah. consider that a major, major plug for uh, how 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 deep we get into that sucker. Um, can I can I add one last plug in. then off that? All right, sure. 
ninety nine potions. It's the JRPG podcast. Uh, if you're if we're talking about other podcasts, uh, it's a JRPG podcast or not JRPG RPG in general RPG podcast. I do with uh, my other boss John Warren and our uh, co worker Natalie Flores. It's very fun. Oh, and Imran Khan is also a regular uh, cast member on that now. I am writing that down to check out. It's a good one. It's one of my favorite things that we do. All right. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is probably produced by Liana Hafer. I think she's producing everything we're doing lately. <laughs> you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can listen to Rob and Troy's movie pod. You can join our Discord. You can even sign up for playing multiplayer games. I think there's some Age of Empires 4 getting going in that group. Uh, Ooh. So, yeah, we are... Uh, we are people you should give money to. It'll be helpful. Um, I believe that's everything. So for Jason and for Steven, have a good night.